<laughs> Books. A vast source of knowledge and entertainment. When it comes to reading, I'm a man of facts, not fiction. Did you know there are more fake flamingos in the world than real ones? Or that the largest hailstone recorded in the U.S. was 17.5 inches around? In Washington, you can be arrested or fined for harassing Bigfoot. And in Quitman, Georgia, chickens are not permitted to cross the road. Uh-uh. You see, fact can be stranger than fiction, and the truth can surprise even me. And when it comes right down to it, sometimes it's hard to believe. Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses today. I want to welcome those of you also who are watching online. Glad you could join us. And it's good to see everybody. I've been away a little bit on a speaking break. But it's really good to be back and see all of you here today. Uh, my wife and I haven't missed church once this past summer. I guess summer's not past. It's moving, moving forward. But we haven't missed church once this summer. And honestly, it's the highlight of our week. Um, I'm not a person who cries a lot, but... A couple of weeks ago, by the third song, I was so overcome, I couldn't even get the words out. And then Jason stood up and spoke a message that had me laughing and crying all over again. And I left church that day thinking, what just happened to me in there? Every time I'm here, God speaks to me and he changes me in ways that would have never happened had I not been in one of these seats, which, which is why it's so important that all of you are here today and that you never miss church, even during the summer months. Get here as often as you can. I think the shift away from godliness and truth in our culture is happening so fast that the best thing we all can do for ourselves and for our families is make sure that we're grounded in God's word at least once a week. Make sure we're in a place of worship at least once a week where we can get redialed back into who God is and what we're supposed to be uh, how we're supposed to be living our lives. So way to go. Thanks for coming out today, everybody. And then the baptism, I just have to comment on this. Three weekends ago was unbelievable. The crowd at the 3 o'clock service had to be over 1,000 people. They were excited. They were genuinely wanting to follow Christ in baptism. And then before the 5.30 service, I was going over some final details, and a big tough guy came up to me holding his towel, ready to be baptized, and he said, would you pray for me? I said, sure, what for? He said, for my addiction to heroin. And you could tell he was just hoping and praying that this would be the day that God would set him free. Just a fantastic historic day in our church. But today I'm so glad you're here because this is the last message in our series called It's Hard to Believe. And I want to start with a minor confession, a little confession before you today. I really do love people. And I am interested in their lives but when people come up and want to show me 14 pictures of their grandkids on their iPhone, I'm not that interested. I'd rather see a nice walleye or a big bass, quite frankly. To me, all babies look alike. And I think all babies kind of look like Winston Churchill, to be honest with you. <laughs> I had a guy stop me in the lobby a few weeks ago, and he said, let me show you my grandkids. So he gets out his iPhone, and it took him forever to find his pictures, first of all. Finally, he gets into them. He was flipping through stopped at a random picture of something else. He says, oh, you're going to want to see this. And then he had another, oh, you're going to want to see this. He did it about five times. Finally, I said, just show me the kid. He said, oh, yeah. He got his grand, looked exactly like Winston Churchill. No kid, didn't know if it was a guy or a girl. But people who are grandparents <laughs> have told me that being a grandparent is amazing and that I'm going to love it. 
but I didn't love it when our own kids were babies. I mean, both Lori and I, we thought, you know, the infant stage was absolutely miserable. I mean, we love our kids. So six months ago, when our first grandbaby, Isabel, was born, people said, aren't you excited? I said, not really. I said, isn't it amazing to be a grandfather? I said, no, not really. It isn't. I mean, she's great in everything, but infants just kind of lay there. Can't walk, can't talk, can't do anything. But a month ago, something happened. Ibby smiled at me and reached up and grabbed my cheek, and that was it. <laughs> my daughter and son-in-law had to move from Rochester, Minnesota to Columbia, Missouri, where Nellie's going to finish his residency in radiology. So a month ago, my wife and I helped them pack up to move, and we took off in a U-Haul truck with a baby and a basset hound on our way to Missouri. Now, <clears throat> helping people move is a pain, but when you toss in a baby and basset hound, the potential for disaster goes way up. The GPS got us lost three times. There were a couple meltdowns, one by the baby, one by somebody else. And I spent, I spent a small fortune gassing up this U-Haul. You have no idea. Buying groceries and replacing a side-view mirror on their car that was broken and hanging and dangling there. We spent the next four days going back and forth from Menards to try to get their house in order. And then our 4 a.m. flight back home was delayed. So missed our connecting flight in Chicago. Our three-hour flight turned into a 12-hour disaster. But I loved every part of that trip. I loved it. Mainly because of a little girl named Ibby. I loved watching my daughter be a mom. And Nellie be a dad. And I, I watched the three of them become a little family in their first little home. In fact, can I show you a few pictures on my iPhone? <laughs> Just a couple. Here she is. Yeah, one more. Yeah, maybe one more. You always got to have something like that in there. But anyway, no kidding. I sit at my desk these days thinking about her. I don't think about kids generally. But I think about this one. And I wonder if she's going to remember her, her granddad and her grandma. We're already planning a trip back down later in August. This is, this is a series called It's Hard to Believe. And if you're not a grandparent, it's hard to believe how great it is. It's hard to believe how a little person like that can work her way so deeply into your soul that you're already planning a next trip to see her. It's hard to believe that there's this magical, amazing life after kids. We were so glad when our kids left home finally. Oh, we love our kids. They're the two of the best kids in the world, I believe, on the planet. We're so glad they're gone. <laughs> but there's this amazing life after kids called grandkids. So today's message is called, It's Hard to Believe There's an Afterlife. Hard Hard to believe that the moment we die, we're going to be ushered into an eternal life that's actually ten times better than this life. Think of your most amazing experience in this world. Heaven is going to be ten times, a hundred times better. We can't even really conceive of it. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way, Our earthly bodies which die and decay... 
Anybody's body just decaying? Mine is just fading as I'm standing here. <laughs> we'll be different when they're resurrected, for they will never die. Our bodies, they are natural human bodies now, but when they are raised, they will be spiritual bodies. We're, we're going to have a body. It's going to be a spiritual, just a super cool kind of body. Some people say that's hard to believe. You live, you die, that's it. You decompose into nothing. But friends, the Bible says that we humans are created in the image of God. And part of God's makeup is that he is an, he is an eternal being, which means that every one of us are eternal beings. We live on forever because we're created in God's image. But I know that's hard to believe for some, or maybe some of you have questions about death itself or what happens immediately after death. Where do I go? What is that like? When Andrea Eichen lost her good friend Christy to cancer, Andrea was filled with all kinds of these questions. You might recognize Andrea. She's on our staff, and she was reflective about these questions, and God brought her through that. I want you to see this real quick. Christy's favorite color was purple. She liked to shop at Gap or American Eagle and always wore Burt's Bees chapstick. She loved wine, wheat thins, and almond-flavored coffee drinks. At Forest Lake High School, we sang alto side by side in the choir, danced and laughed our way through every fall musical, and when Christy didn't have golf or basketball practice, we'd spend the evening at our friend Allie's house, listening to John Mayer and doing absolutely nothing. The three of us were inseparable, we were like sisters. Christy was so easygoing. She was full of life, love, and joy. And she was always herself, 100% Christy. On January 28, 2013, I sat at Christy's bedside. She was two years into a battle with a rare form of brain cancer that was discovered just weeks after her first child, Hannah, was born. Through the long battle, I'd never let her see me cry. I wanted to be an encouragement to her whenever I had the chance to be around her. But that night, with her eyes closed, deep in slumber, my tears fell on her blanket. I prayed with her, hugged her, kissed her on the cheek, and walked away for the last time. The next morning, Christy died at age 27, leaving behind a daughter, a husband, and countless family and friends who adored her. When Christy passed away, I was devastated. Experiencing death out of the context of old age affected me intensely. Christy had a strong faith, so I knew she was saved, but not being able to fully understand what happens when we die, where she was, what it looked like, who she was with, it was so hard for me. I obsessed over finding answers. I wanted specifics. I tried to lean on my faith to help make sense of it. I devoured all the scripture and teachings I could find about death. But the Bible gives us such a limited view of heaven, and it relies heavily on metaphor to describe it. I was left with way more questions than answers. Soon after we buried Christy, I started visiting her grave four or five times per week. I'd stand there staring at the ground where she was laid to rest, wondering. Over time, I think we've come up with ways to humanize death to help us cope with it. We've created peaceful places in our minds where we picture our loved ones spending eternity. By imagining rolling grassy hills, rainbows, fluffy clouds to sleep on, harps to play, and yellow brick roads to frolic on, 
we don't have to deal with the uncertainty of it all. When Christy died, people would say things like, she's watching over us now, or another angel has gotten her wings, or it's God's will, we need to accept it. I know these people meant well, but when I was in the worst part of my grief, those kind of statements filled me with anger. There's no biblical proof of any of those things, and I refuse to accept them as truth. God's will has no part in giving someone cancer and taking them away in their 27th year of life. That type of dark, tragic event can only be rooted in the fallenness of humanity and the subsequent brokenness of our bodies. I think sometimes we forget that. I lived in this struggle for answers for a long time. It made grief intensely painful and made moving forward almost impossible. I knew Christy wouldn't have wanted me to hold on to my grief so tightly. I came to a realization that there were no black and white answers to my questions. And as frustrating as that was, I needed to learn to live in the gray. One day I came across 1 Thessalonians 4. It said, regarding the question about what happens to those already dead and buried, you must not carry on over them as if the grave were the last word. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. This passage didn't provide any concrete answers about losing my friend, but it did give me permission to move on. There are still times when I miss Christy so much, it's overwhelming. Times when her death causes me to question my faith even. But I'm learning to let myself sit in the uncomfortable places and invite God into them. And when I invite him in, he always shows up. I still visit Christy every now and then, but now when I go, I try to think about the promises God has made, not about the unknown. I think about how lucky I was to have her in my life, even for just 13 years. And I always bring an almond latte to share. Lots of questions surrounding life and death and what happens immediately after. We don't have all the, we don't have all the answers to those questions, but uh, Andrea said that when she invited God into those uncertain places and dark places, that God was good and he showed up. As Andrea prayed and read scripture, God would answer and bring resolution. But not all of the answers are there. There is a mystery, there is an uncertainty uh, to the afterlife, but there's three things I think that we do know for sure. I just want to point those out to you real quickly today. First thing we know for sure is we know that we can trust God. Again, we don't have all the answers to these things. We don't, we don't understand life beyond the grave in its entirety, but, but we do know that we can trust God. In fact, in John chapter 13, Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples that he was going to die, then he would be raised back to life, and then he would eventually leave them. And Peter wanted clarity on this, and so he engaged Jesus in a conversation. He said, Lord, where exactly are you going? Jesus said, well, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said, why can't we go with you now? Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Here's that word, trust. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He said, in my Father's house, trying to describe heaven, you know, using word images here. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, Jesus said to Peter, I'll come and get you, so that you'll always be with me. You know where I am going. 
and how to get there. Then Thomas raises his hand and he says, but Lord, we haven't any idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? I love Thomas. Aren't you glad somebody else is confused about stuff like this? Lord, we don't have any idea where you're going. How can we find the way? And Jesus simply said this, Thomas, Peter, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I think part of what Jesus is saying is, look, there's a lot of things you don't understand, but, but what you need to do is simply trust me. You can trust me. I am the way to heaven. I am the truth. I am the, I am the life. And if you have me, Jesus was saying, you have everything you need. You don't need to worry about what's next. We can trust God. The second thing we know for sure is this. Every single person is resurrected right after death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He could say that because he was raised from the dead. He says, those who believe in me will also live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will actually never die. No time delay. Whoever lives and believes in me will actually never die. Jesus taught when your eyes close in this life, they open immediately in eternity. If you remember the thief who was crucified next to Jesus, repented, put his trust in Jesus right there on the cross, and Jesus said, today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Acts 24, 15 says, there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous, no exceptions. Everybody is resurrected after death. The third thing we know is that after the resurrection, both the righteous and unrighteous will face judgment. In fact, Hebrews 9 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. So every human being, every one of us, will one day stand before God and give an account of our lives. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And the issue on that day will not be how much you did or didn't do. It'll be who you trusted, who you put your faith in. The issue on that day won't be how much did I sin, but did I acknowledge my need for a Savior and put my trust in Jesus who died on a cross to pay for my sins. Matthew 25 says that during the judgment, Jesus is going to separate people into two groups, not three groups or four groups, just two. Those who repented of their sins and trusted him as their Savior will be one group, and those who didn't trust him as their Savior will be another group. Matthew 25 says that those who trusted Christ will be assigned to eternal life in heaven, and those who did not trust Christ, did not seek forgiveness of sin, will, spend, will be assigned to a place the Bible calls hell. And Jesus was real clear on this. One or the other, no middle ground, no reincarnation, no middle earth. And I know that creates fear in some people, but I'm telling you, you don't need to be afraid of that day. The only question that really matters is this. Is your faith in Christ? Is your faith in the one who died for your sins and rose to defeat 
death. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, you'll be welcomed into heaven on that day. No questions asked. Some of you know that we have a very happy chocolate Labrador retriever named Blue at home. Some of you wondered if I'd given him away because he's so bad sometimes, but I haven't, I still, we still have him. I still love him. He has no off button, this dog. So if you walk into our yard, you've got to protect yourself. He'll hit you blindside. He'll jump up and put his paws on your shoulder and lick you to death. He'll roll you over if he can. So you've got you to be ready, and you enter your, our yard really at your own risk. Now, Blue's favorite place in the world is a pheasant swamp or pheasant slough, but his second favorite place is the kennel that we take him to when we travel. And the reason he loves this kennel is they give the dogs free reign so they can run and play and dive into the pool and they go and go until they're absolutely exhausted. The last time I dropped him off, I gave the girl his leash and he practically dragged her through the back door toward where the other dogs were located. I was going to give him a hug goodbye, but he just took off and never looked back. I thought, well, there he goes. And I don't know, honestly, what goes, behind, goes on behind that door completely, but I don't really care because it's heaven for him. And they actually let him in. But they never should let him in because he's a big problem, even for them. Every time I pick him up, I say, how was he? And the staff kind of look at each other. And they use carefully chosen words like, well, he sometimes plays a little rough. He sometimes is overly friendly. He sometimes is overly affectionate. We all know what that means. So we have to give him timeouts. They should never let him into heaven because he doesn't deserve it. But they let him in every time. You know why? Because I pay them $40 a day to keep him there. That's the only reason they let him in. He doesn't deserve heaven, and friends, neither do we. Honestly, the Bible says none of us are righteous. Not even one. Not me, not you, not anybody. None of us are righteous. But Jesus paid our way. And on the day of judgment, we're going to stand before God as sinners who don't deserve heaven. But if you've put your trust in Jesus who paid your way, you can run through the door and never look back and just have a ball. It's it's who you trust. It's who pays your way. We're all sinners needing a Savior. A few words about heaven. The Bible says, No eye has seen or ear has heard what God has prepared for those of us, keyword, who love him, who trust him, who put our faith in him, who honor him with our worship. There's not an eye who has seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared. It's going to be spectacular. One time in Matthew 22, there were some Sadducees who came up to Jesus with a question and they were wondering about the resurrection. They actually didn't believe in the resurrection or the afterlife. And so they wanted to kind of pin Jesus down on this and they were quizzing him. And they gave a hypothetical example. They said, Jesus, Moses said, if a man dies without having children, his brother should marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers, Sadducee said. The first guy died, so his brother married the widow. Same thing happened, though, to brother number three, four, five, six, and seven, and each one married the widow. Finally, the widow died. I mean, no kidding. 
After seven brothers, good grief. My wife has said to me, Bob, if you die before me, that's it. I'm done. No more. So these Sadducees are asking Jesus. They say, but Jesus, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Jesus said, your theology screwed up. Actually, he didn't say that. He thought it, I think. <laughs> he, he said, <coughs> 11 o'clock service. He said, at the, re- at the resurrection, people, people neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven, meaning in their marital status. Jesus said, you won't be married in heaven. And some of you are like, thank God I'll be done with that. Others of you are bothered because you have a good marriage. Can't imagine life without your spouse. Jesus said there won't be marriage in heaven. You'll certainly know each other. You'll have a special relationship, I'm sure, if you want that. But you won't be married. And there won't be sex in heaven, which is why some people might think they'd rather, rather go to hell instead. But think about this. Who created marriage? Well, God did. And who created us as sexual beings and gave us the joy of sexual expression within the context of marriage? God did. Both of these things were gifts given to us by a gracious God. So the only explanation for why there won't be sex in heaven is that heaven must be ten times better than sex and marriage. And you don't want to miss it. Heaven's going to be so spectacular, so thrilling, so full of the purest kind of relationship with Christ and each other that marriage and sex won't even enter your mind. You say, Bob, what could be better than sex? I don't know. But you don't want to miss it. Jesus described heaven as a place free of pain. No more sickness, no more guilt. No more being accused, comparing, no more shame in heaven, no more loneliness. Some of us are lonely today. No more riots, protests, or hatred. No war. No poverty. He said that our bodies will be transformed in heaven. Anybody here want a new body? Need a new body? Some of you are looking forward to that. We have deaf folks who attend our church every week. And they worship with us. I mean, think about all the amazing music that we've heard over the years here at our church. And some of our friends have not heard one note. But on that day, they're going to hear the music. And we're going to hear it in such a way that we're going to say, wow, I can't believe the sound. Several years ago, I was outside of Rosedale Shopping Mall, and I turned a corner on the sidewalk, and just as I turned, I passed by a young woman who had a horribly deformed face. Looked like she'd been badly burned, just completely burned. And I didn't want her to see the shock in my eyes. I I tried to convey a look of tenderness, but as soon as our eyes met, she, she looked away, almost as if to say, I'll turn away so you don't have to look at. And my immediate thought was, she deals with that every single day she's in public. But if she's a member of God's family, she's going to get a new body and a restored face, and she won't have to look away anymore. 
whatever is wrong with your body, whatever is saggy and baggy and crooked and hurts or hobbles will be new in heaven. And friends, don't worry about the harp thing and the clouds and heaven being a bore. That's not what it's going to be like. I am not going to be listening to a harp. I'll guarantee that. I assure you of that. That's not a biblical concept. The Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Earth is going to be a part of the heavenly experience, a brand new earth. Heaven is not a distant place completely separate from earth. Heaven is simply where God is. It's where God and humans will, will, will intermingle, and a brand new earth is going to be a part of that deal. Mainly, though, it's going to be day after day of the most joy-filled relationships you have ever had. Doing what we love doing most on earth without limitation, working, playing, singing, serving, worshiping, hunting with millions of other Christians, brothers and sisters that we'll meet from all over the world throughout history. Some of you are like, well, can we play golf? Can we shop? Well, probably. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you're going to be so filled with other kinds of relating and exploring the universe and the galaxies and serving God. Those things won't have the same appeal, I'm just telling you. But we can't conceive it. Bottom line, the highlight of heaven will be an expanded capacity for doing whatever Christians love doing most here on earth. But now a word about hell. You know, week after week, we talk in this church about how to have a relationship with Jesus that transforms us into new people, and you don't hear a lot of teaching about hell these days. But Jesus talked about it a lot, not to scare people, but to make sure that people know there's a choice to be made and that you and I can't remain neutral or ambivalent about that choice. And so to give us an idea what hell is like, Jesus used three word pictures, and the first one is this. He, he described hell as utter darkness, and it has to do with complete isolation from other people. Every once in a while, you know, I'll bump into somebody who says, hey, Bob, I don't even want to go to heaven and spend eternity with all those boring Christians. I want to have an endless frat party drinking beer with all my friends. And I'm like, that's not how it's going to be. Because when Jesus used the word utter darkness, he meant there's no friendships in hell. Solitary confinement, complete separation from God and others. Won't be a fun time. Second metaphor he used is that hell's a place of torment. It's not comfortable. On July 4th, just a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I was insulating the attic of my garage, and I'd never insulated an attic before. As soon as I got up into the attic, it had to be over 100 degrees. I couldn't breathe. I sweat profusely. And then the itch from insulation was always, it felt like somebody had spread itchweed all over my body. Even after I showered, I still itched. I told my wife, I said, that's hell. That's got to be what hell's like. Only every single day. Even if there's only a 2% chance that hell is real, I want to avoid that. Third description Jesus used is that there will be gnashing of teeth. And this is an expression of intense remorse, regret. It's like when you're a student and the teacher gives you a, a surprise quiz. 
but you weren't ready. You were supposed to read the chapter, but you didn't, and so you take the test and you bomb it. And you're like, I should have studied. I regret it. Or there's a time in life where you ruined a relationship, you regret it. Or you lost a bunch of money, or you didn't push yourself away from the bar, and you go and you look at that situation, you go, I wish I'd have done that differently. We all gnash our teeth at times over stuff we regret. Jesus says that's what people in hell are going to do. They're going to go, jeez, how could I have missed it? For all eternity. Jesus was real clear about the reality of hell. And even if you don't believe it, friends, you owe it to yourself to dig into it and get some answers because it's too important. You don't want to risk your eternity Jesus said there's just two choices. All of us are going to spend eternity in one, of two cho- in one or two places, just a matter of where. And by the way, God doesn't send anybody to hell. You hear that sometimes from people. You know, some people spend a lot of energy keeping God out of their life. So they push, they push God away. They push the church away, push the Bible away. They push his offer of forgiveness and a personal relationship away. And after 50, 60, 80 years of pushing God away, God finally says with deep, Deep sadness. If that's what you want, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to force you into a relationship if you don't want me in your life. Sadly, you can have it your way. Jesus said there's a choice to be made, friends. And if you haven't made the choice already, he would say, please, please, Choose heaven. Choose forgiveness. Choose a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to heaven except through this relationship, this faith in me. For what it's worth... I believe in what Jesus said to the core of my being. I've built my life on his words. I have a relationship with him through the Holy Spirit that's real and genuine. He speaks to me by his spirit. He leads me. He guides me. I believe he has a protective covering over my life and over my children and grandchild. I believe in who Jesus is to the core of my being. My wife does, our kids do, and we have no fear of death. We have no fear of what's next. In fact, we look forward to it. I look forward to seeing my dad, and I know he's just waiting there. I mean, he's he's busy, I'm sure, and others who've gone before me who I've loved here. I can't wait for that day to see them and to have them show me around and introduce me to other folks. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. I love my life. I love earth. Most of what I do, I really love. But I think the moment we step into heaven, we're going to wonder why we clung to this earth so tightly. We're going to go, really? This is unbelievable. If you're uncertain 
of your eternity. Don't live another day with that fear. You know, we have prayer people at all of our campuses. Come down. Talk to them. Let them lead you in a, a brief prayer to know Christ. You don't have to do that with somebody else. You can do that driving home alone. But man, get that settled. Next week, we start a new series called Live Well. We'll kick it off. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Everybody invited back. Let's all stand at all campuses and be closed for closing prayer. Let's pray, everybody. Thanks, Father, for your incredible love for us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve heaven. We're all sinners. And I'm probably the biggest one. God, I don't deserve you. But because you paid my way, the door swings open to me. I'm so grateful. Thank you that I don't have to wait until I die to know you. None of us do. We have to wait until we die to experience forgiveness and newness and joy. God, I pray if there's any here who need to know you today, that they would get that settled real quick. Lord, we love you. We need you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you that we can trust you with our life and our death and our eternity. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.